Welcome to the Gym Lords Podcast, where we talk to real gym owners and share their stories, their trials, and what's working for them right now. To apply to be a guest on this podcast, click the link in the description. Hope you enjoy and subscribe. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Gym Lords Podcast. I am your host, Adam Shop, and today, from the same neck of the woods is Jim Kilbaso with Impact Sports Performance out of Novi, Michigan. Jim, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me on, Adam. Absolutely. It's a pleasure and all mine as well. Uh, I'm super excited to dive into you and what you've done and what you're doing and, you know, all about the business. So with that being said, I will open it up. Go ahead and tell the listeners that are uh, currently viewing and watching or listening, I should say you know, about you, what's your background, you know, what's your passion? How did you get into this industry? What kind of transpired into impact sports performance? All right. Well, I'll try to keep it as short as I can, but I've known since I was in high school that I wanted to do strength and conditioning. Um, Impact sports performance is primarily a sports performance uh, based business. And I've known that I've wanted to do this since, uh, well, back in the eighties, actually, when this was not really a business. Um, when I, I went to Michigan State, wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach, and the professors at the time really had no direction for me. Uh, that's how things have changed so much. Oh, um, ended up going to uh, to University of Michigan for grad school, and they had a strength coach there, one of the first strength coaches ever, actually, in, um, in college athletics, and um, he was a great mentor for me. Um, I was doing personal training um, back, you know, in Michigan. I was also working with a high school kind of part-time. Um, and when I, while I was at Michigan, I got hired to run a performance center that was associated with a hospital um, inside of an ice arena. And I learned a ton about speed development. So I had already done kind of the college strength and conditioning thing during grad school, learned a lot about speed development uh, through this process. And, and I ended up getting hired um, as the, the head strength and conditioning coach at the University of Detroit Mercy. And I, so I was a college strength coach for about six years. Um, that was an amazing experience because I got to really learn more about um, athletics and you know how everything works and how, how to develop people, how to make a lot of mistakes as well, but um, also building relationships with people, um, coaches, athletes, administrators, um, about 2002 is when I left um, to open up my own training business, and uh, I thought it was going to be my own like little small personal training studio near where I live. Um, ended up talking to some people at a giant sports complex, like one of the biggest indoor turf complexes in the country. Um, they brought me on to run a, a sports performance business, and again, at the time in 2002, um, people didn't know what we did. So it was just new. Nobody knew what was going on, and uh, we were educating people what you know how we how we do all this stuff. Um, fast forward, I was there for almost eighteen years. A hospital system bought us. Um, uh, it was not the right fit. COVID hit, and um, everything shut down, and nobody knew what was going to go on. What was going on? And I took that as an opportunity to get out of that uh, that relationship and opened up impact sports performance um, right down the street, kind of from where I was before. Um, but yeah, I opened a sports performance in-person business in the middle of COVID, which was, uh, you could say, either silly or it took uh, some some guts to do it. Um, it has been an amazing transition. Um, I'm inside of a, a 
another smaller sports um, turf complex. Um, so we have access to like turf fields and we do a lot of speed development. Um, I've written a couple books on speed training and I get to speak a lot to a, at a lot of clinics about speed development. So that's kind of a big part of what we do. And um, now all of our sessions are half speed and agility, half strength training. We do a little bit of um, a little bit of adult training. We go out, we're contracted at several schools and work with a ton of different teams. And then I also do NFL combine prep which is what we're in the middle of right now, um, actually, yeah. uh, which is a huge part of my time commitment uh, during this time of year. And since you're a U of M fan, I saw you, your hand went up when I said U of M. Um, yeah, I, I was su super fortunate several years ago, I got to do the NFL combine prep for University of Michigan football. So I would, uh, I would, I would do our combine prep at our place in the morning, and then I'd drive to Ann Arbor and train the guys there. Um, I did that for, I think, five years. Um, that was a pretty cool experience, but uh, it's all kind of kind of come together with with impact. And uh, now we have three, we actually have three locations. We have another one in Brighton, and then we have um, kind of a satellite one in East Lansing inside of an ice arena where we mainly train hockey players and hockey teams. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah, NFL, ah, man, the the speed and agility drills, the three cone drill, the ladder, you know, uh, brings back memories. And we, we literally just were working on three cone today. So that's funny that you said that. Yeah, I know. I know you wanted to do that too. And that's a, uh, it, it's, it's pretty fun time to see people chase their dreams and help them, uh, help them go after those things. It is, this, this is like a, a personal question. Um, we'll just take a quick pause, but three cone drill, you know, like I, I graduated high school back in 2009. Yeah. And, you know, went off to college and we were doing the three cone drills and, you know, we practiced it inside our studio or inside our studio, inside our high school and stuff. And God, I want to think like the, the seven drill um, or the, the seven. Um, anyways, what, what are like the times now for kids nowadays? Is it like between like the sixes and the sevens? Has it evolved? Is it, is it faster than that? Is that like in the right realm? Am I way off? No, you're not too far off. It really depends on the position. Like, um, for a lot of skill positions, it would be below seven seconds. So okay. like six, five to seven and then yeah. kind of like big skill is right around seven seconds and big guys are like in the, um, the low to mid sevens. So yeah, you're right there. In other words, so my, my time is still pretty good then. Cause I, uh, sounds like it. I think I did like, a, I, I was either like a six, I think like a six, three, um or uh, six five maybe something like that if I you know I would have to go back to my old coach and stuff like that but yeah yeah that uh that would be a blazing fast time so yeah you you had something to you Adam good job well I, I had a passion I'll just we'll say it like that so yeah. anyway <laughs> um cool Jim oh, I'm so excited um so three locations two predominantly one satellite yep you know mainly sports performance right so within your facility, do you do any kind of like gen pop weight loss? Do you have any people for those specific, or is it really just like sports performance programming? We have, um, we have like seven or eight classes that go on each week uh, that are for adults. We call it adult performance training, but it's uh, for the most part, it's kind of like a small group um, training session for adults. That is, I wouldn't say we like focus on weight loss. It's more um, like all around fitness and strength, um, kind of just a good overall uh, workout for them. And we 
like we do everything, we try to customize things as much as possible for, for each individual. We also do, I'd say, a decent amount of personal training, like one-on-one -on -one stuff. Um, okay. and, and, and a bunch of those are adults. But it's not the main part of our business. It's probably adults make up probably about 10% of our total revenue. Got it. Yeah. Uh, with like your, your main bread butter, you mentioned that you were contracted to, you know, several schools and things like that. Is that kind of like the, the bread and the butter? Like, do you have, you know, and this kind of leads me to my question is, you know, like your elevator pitch of when somebody comes to impact sports performance, what are they going to be, you know, what's going to be expected? What's going to be like the experience? Um, do you contract more out to just like various people throughout, whether it's collegiate, high schools, you know, whatever, or like semi-pro things like that, or, and, or do you have like membership based reoccurring, you know, paying members monthly, things like that kind of walk us through that whole scenario. Yeah. So we actually have all of those things. I would say probably about 50% of our business is um, athletes 14 to 18 years old. So that kind of middle school, high school range, um, then uh, probably about 20 or 25 percent is schools um, where we're we're out with the whole school then we also do teams so we, we work with sports clubs that we either go to them if it's certain times of year or they come to us um, and then we've got the combine prep as well we also have a youth program for athletes 8 to 11 years old um, that's probably about 10 to 15 percent of our business as well um, kind of what we specialize in when people come to us is uh, a customized, individualized sports performance program uh, done in a small group setting so that they're getting um, the quality of one-on-one, -on -one, but at a price uh, at a small group or a small group training so that more people can afford it. Um, and a lot of what we do is the speed, agility, the movement stuff, and there's just not that many people that are doing that kind of thing well uh there's you know there's plenty of uh strength training or stuff at school but the the movement stuff is kind of where we really are specialized in and do it differently than a lot of people do excellent yeah it, it sounds very unique and dynamic to a point where it's like you're able to provide something that was passionate to you and that you've had a ton of experience and now you're, you know, taking it to that next level, you know, of all ages, really. Yeah. Um, cool. Um, I know, uh, and forgive me, we touched on, you know, like you have like that adult performance training kind of thing. So yeah. in a, like a little nutshell, somebody comes in, you know, let, let's say like everybody wants to lose some kind of weight if that's their intentions, right? Not necessarily like, you know, whether it's lose weight to put on muscle or lose weight to be more agile or, you know, whatever somebody comes in, they're like, ah, you know, I would like to lose 10 to 20 pounds, but I really just want to be, you know, improve my overall health, you know, with those adult classes, what kind of trainings and programs would that person expect? Yeah. Assuming they don't have any injuries or limitations or anything like that. Right. Um, they would kind of a, a normal class would be like a, a warm up routine that would be, you know, maybe somewhat athletic based where they're doing things like skipping and shuffling and a lot of flexibility and mobility stuff. Um, that's part of what makes them feel like they're doing a performance type class. Uh, then we would usually break into some sort of a strength training program. Um, it could be sometimes circuit. It could sometimes be a slower pace doing a little bit heavier stuff. 
And then usually at the end, there's some sort of like a metabolic conditioning piece to it. Um, so that they, they, the adults love, they love leaving, you know, sweaty and feeling super tired. Um, and then if they have specific needs, we usually address those during the strength portion. And if they're really looking to do some weight loss, we'll typically offer some sort of a, a one-on-one -on -one nutritional or individual consultation so that they can get a little bit more dialed into what they need. Excellent. So yeah, it's like, you know, a mini customization for, you know, them based on X, Y, and Z. Yeah. It's, it's almost like some people sometimes say it's kind of like small group personal training. So it's like personal training, but again, like the sports performance in a small group where they don't have to pay for always doing one-on-one -on -one. and it gets people there more often and fits with our schedule too, quite frankly. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, that, that very small, like community type feel, whether it's like three to five people or whatever, you know, that size might look like it kind of gives them like that little boost where, you know, maybe it's a friend or they're just, you know, their inner self is like competitive. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, Jim. Um, so let's talk a little bit more on like the business side of things. Okay. Tell me, you know, what is, you know, at, let's say your Novi location, you know, what's like the square footage of that one and maybe like the Brighton location. Yeah. So we're, we only have a, 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 like a couple thousand square feet inside of a building that's about 80,000 square feet of turtle. So we permanently have a few thousand that is just ours. And then when the fields aren't being used, we go out and we're able to use the fields. So it's kind of this really nice hybrid of um, having our own space, but not having to pay for the large space 24 hours a day because it gets rented out. Um, the, the Brighton facility is similar. It's inside of a softball training center where we pay for about 2,000 or 2,500 square feet, but there's access to uh, kind of a, a large piece of turf where we can do more speed and agility stuff. So it's kind of been, that's kind of been our thing is finding spots where we have access to more space, but we don't have to be the only tenant or the only people paying for it all the time. Because I, I know a lot of people that have been in this business and they go and they rent out a 10 or 15,000 square foot place all to themselves just for sports performance. And before they know it, they can't pay their bills because it's just too much space. So um, I've seen that mistake through doing this for about 30 years that I've seen it made enough times that I know like, all right, we have to do things a little bit smarter uh, if we're going to stay open and if, if we're going to be able to keep enough money to pay employees uh, a good wage so that they want to stick around for a long time yeah especially you know covid you not on the, or dot on the eyes covid for pretty much everybody took away a huge chunk of everything you know reoccurring memberships freezes whatever and you know then obviously the employers are like well i still have to make a living you know, whether they do the whole unemployment thing or both or, you know, whatever, whoever, you know, every business did a little differently. But now that, you know, things are, we'll say, for the most part, getting back to, you know, pretty much some type of normalcy, obviously, every state's different, Michigan's a little different than Florida, or Florida's a little different than California, you know. So the employees, I feel like that's a lot of people's biggest struggle, too, is because either they can't pay them what they want to pay them, they want to pay them, you know, what they're worth. But it's like, you know, at that point, it's like, okay, well, how do we give ourselves two to 300 more members and then, you know, keep the quality of trainers at the same time? So 
walk me through, you know, we'll, we'll say how has the build back been, you know, well, first here, let's back it up member wise. How many, I know you're contracted and stuff like that, but like reoccurring members, like, like the, the main bread that, you know, helps keep your facility open. What's that member base look like right now? So because we're seasonal, so kids aren't with us like all the time, we do do monthly recurring memberships yeah. and they choose between either two time training twice a week with us because everything's appointment based. So there's, it's not just an open gym type of scenario. You have to have an appointment. They, they go online and we have an online scheduling platform. They pick and choose their times. Um, so it's either twice a week or unlimited training and uh, fluctuates during the year between about 250 to 350 um, single like members in, in addition to all the teams and schools. Okay. So you said that number was like between like 250 and 350. Like right now it's a pretty busy time. So we're uh, just over 300 individuals uh, paying like monthly memberships. Yeah, and the, and you said those were, you know, obviously appointment based and it was either like once or twice a week, correct? Uh, it's either twice a week or unlimited. Tw oh, yes, twice a week or unlimited. Yeah. Excellent. So walk me through, you know, that that number in where you are with, you know, employees and revenue and things like that, you know, is that a solid number? Is there, you know, something you want more consistently, whether it's this season or this season or Q1 or Q3 or however you really break it down because yours is a little different dynamic than like a traditional gym that has group fitness, you know, 364 days a year. Yeah. Um, you know, is that number sustainable? What's kind of like big picture, big goal that you would like to see happen? Um, the number is great for our Novi location. Uh, honestly, like, I, I don't know if we could even take many more clients right yeah. now. Um without adding staff and, um, and space. So we get jammed up, um, by, by those factors time, you know, number of hours in the day and, and enough room and employees. Um, so kind of our areas that we're focusing on growing for, you know, coming up for this year, uh, are going to be one, our adult fitness in our Novi location, and then continuing to build our Brighton location, which is only about a year old. Um, and then, starting to expand the the third the east lansing facility beyond just the teams that are essentially handed to us and and growing uh, a larger business out of there so um you know we're always looking for different opportunities but yeah. uh I, you know, a lot of people want me to open another one on a different side of town but um that just that's you know that that's a lot it, it's a lot to manage not only uh not only just work but you have to have the right people to do it and as anybody listening to this knows, like finding the right people is absolutely critical. And when you're going to open another location, that's that's even more critical. So um, for now, I think we've got our uh, we've got our plan for the year of uh, of what we're going to try to really work on. Yeah, talk to me about that plan just a little bit more. You know, in depth. You know, obviously you said build the East Lansing one. Um, you know, build up the Brighton location a little bit more. Novi is pretty, you know, set for right now. Like it can, it can kind of be on the cruise control almost. Yeah. Talk to me about like in depth, like what that plan tells, what do you have in place that's going to allow you to grow, add on whatever it is that you need to do? 
Yeah, that's good. Great questions. Um, so for the adult fitness in our Nova location, we just actually hired somebody um, who has done uh, a lot of small group personal training. Like he built a business uh, on the west side of the state, and he came back to this side, this area where he's from, and he he's we're, we're kind of getting him into the swing of things, and he's going to start to try to ramp up our adult fitness stuff, and that'll be uh, you know we'll probably hit that hard for about a year and if his plans work then great you know it could it could be amazing if uh if he isn't able to do it then you know i might be okay just completely eliminating um that or just kind of maintaining what we're doing um in in brighton uh we've got lots of areas to grow because we took on another contract at the high school at the local high school um and you can see where the pieces of the puzzle kind of fit together because the the person that was running our East Lansing facility, I I moved him over to take that, take on that big high school contract. Um, so hopefully that high school contract, along with the word of mouth and uh, the results that we're getting in Brighton, starts to spread and and that business will grow. And then East Lansing, we got a new guy in there that uh, is developing a lot of relationships and and building that. So um we have a plan to get that going by hopefully getting a high school contract and then taking the kids who train with us during the hockey season and doing more off-season training with us so we can kind of round out the entire year yeah so it's safe to say you know we got the plans in place the well i you know like this word bread and butter is kind of like the, those contracts like those are like x amount of you know weeks i'm assuming that you know you're here to improve the performance of those athletes and things like that. How do, how do those contracts come about? Is it, do you have to go out and like, you know, preach your business and say, Hey, look, we do X, Y, and Z here. I think we'd be a great fit for you based on this. Or is it like now to the point where they reach out to you and like, Hey, we got these group of kids. They're looking for this. You know, would you be interested? It's yeah. It's kind of a lot of people ask me that, like, how do I get a contract at a high school? And uh, honestly, each one is very different. Um, so one of the high schools we've been at for, gosh, almost 20 years. Um, and I developed a relationship with their yeah. head football coach and AD years ago, going in, training the football team at six o'clock in the morning. And it just, it grew and grew and grew into us being there year round. Um, another high school was similar, um, but it was just kind of team based and each team would pay. And now we have something more solidified because a new AD came in and wanted everybody to be there. Um, at other places, it's more like, uh, like, oh, we, we heard from one coach that works with us that they may be interested in doing more at the school. So maybe we'll meet with the athletic director, see what they're interested in and see how we can fit what we do into their program and into their budget if they have anything. Um, some of the schools pay more like through fundraising and boosters club. Others pay for it through like an actual budget that they have. One of the schools pays for it by, I think that they they passed some sort of bond and created a, a, a budget to go along with it. So it's really, honestly, it's, it's different at each place. Um, I know some, in, maybe in some states it's different where they have schools have budgets for it but in michigan uh it's there's just not that many of them the, the the school budgets aren't very big for this kind of thing so not everybody not every district can afford it so it's really it's it's totally relationship based 
it's uh, like all of this business is very relationship based. And that's how we do a lot of our marketing as well, going through clubs or schools that we know and I have relationships with from, from doing this for a long time that will help uh, us get in front of other kids. It's, um, you know, if you don't have those relationships established, it just takes a while to, to make that happen. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, so that leads me kind of into, you know, the next segment of, you know, how we want to talk about the business is, you know, that, that marketing aspect of things. Now your situation is, I don't know, like sports performance is a little different and dynamic and unique compared to like, again, your traditional like group fitness. So like from the marketing side of things, let me just ask a simple question. Do you do paid advertising or have you done paid advertising? Um, and what has been, you know, the pros and the cons of that? Yeah, uh, we have tried paid advertising. Some of the paid advertising that we do will be in like a local market type of thing, like a like a community magazine or something like that. Others will be paid online advertising. Sometimes it's boosting point posts, stuff like that. Um, I, I, honestly, I have never I've never paid for any advertising that afterwards uh, or at some point I was like, oh wow. We just need to pay more and we'll, this is going to be so amazing um we did have one system of uh paid facebook advertising that we tried several years ago that we used another business for i would say that kind of does it for you yeah um and we were getting tons of leads uh but it turned out the leads were were kind of garbage um or i'll put it on us we weren't following up very well with them uh, whereas the leads that we get for our sports performance or for, you know, from referrals, they're very, very warm, if not hot leads. So we know somebody coming in um, already has a lot of information about us. Um, I, I just haven't, I haven't had one particular paid advertising campaign that just like knocked it out of the park. Um I have friends that have done it in fitness and I've tried to, you know, pick their brains about it. And that would be one area that uh, we could definitely improve on. And that, that is something that we have some plans to do some more paid advertising for adult fitness. So let's dig into those plans, kind of walk me through, you know, what, what is, or is going to be in place for, you know, to grow that adult fitness, you know, what, what's kind of going to be the, that driving factor. Um, well, we're going to have to open up more class times. Uh, I think that having only seven or eight class times a week is just not enough to attract people. Um, there's going to have to be a more concerted effort, uh, by one of our employees to really be like, kind of take the lead on, on pushing that and being out there, um, getting people in the door for that. Uh, and I think we're going to try some of that paid paid advertising and I'm going to I'm going to kind of rely on some of the things that have worked for this guy that we brought in that um, I think it's mainly going to be some Facebook advertising, but we haven't really spent much time on our Facebook recently because more of the more of our clients being younger are on Instagram, like none of the kids that we train are on Facebook that's for their moms and dads. Um, so it's going to be kind of a switch and somebody's got to get you know they're going to have to take take the lead on that um social media has become uh you know it's a lot to deal with we almost need like somebody uh not full-time but you know that that needs to be somebody's job to do social media a little bit better and mm -hmm. that might be part of what we pay for uh as we move forward 
you know, all good things, you know, it's, it's, it's like the theory of evolution, you know, every day there's, you know, if you've heard like chat GPT, like there's the automated scripts now. And it's like, there's all these things that are coming out where it's like, yes, is it beneficial? Cool. Yeah, absolutely. However, is it taken away from like the raw skills of like, you know, let's say 30 years ago, like you got to do everything basically from scratch. Mm -hmm. Now it's like snap your fingers and boom, you got a whole scripted audience and everybody's on Instagram. It kind of feels like there's that separation where Instagram was like the younger crowd. Facebook has started to become like the older crowd, kind of like MySpace and all those platforms way back when. Yeah. Yeah. And I know a lot of people use Instagram uh, or Facebook for their marketing. Um, so far, a lot of our social media is kind of keeping in touch with our current clients or kind of promoting them or talking about what we do so people see it and may want to come in. Um, right. But, I, but I, I wouldn't say we do an amazing job of social media. And that's partly because um, I find it very cumbersome and uh, quite frankly, kind of annoying to see some of the crap that's on Instagram. Um, yeah. So it's hard, to, <laughs> it's hard to spend a lot of time on it. And no one on my staff loves it either. So it's, uh, we've got to find that right person to help us blow that up a little bit, I think. hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like one of those things where there's so many like clicks and cookies and targeted audiences and funnels and any other fancy words that it's like, if you don't have a person that truly knows exactly how to navigate that you're throwing money at a brick wall. I mean, it's, it's it ain't going to go nowhere. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I have friends that are big on social media and they're like, oh, it only takes a minute or two to post something. And then I go to make a post and it takes me like an hour and a half to get it all right. And I'm like, I, I don't know how you guys do this, but it, yeah, maybe like, I'm just following my leg here. Nah, yeah, I'm not good at it. I know. I like to consider not, not quite dinosauric, but I'm like, it takes me a minute to like, think about, okay, what am I going to say? What, you know, is this a good filter? You know, all like the, the yeah. yeah, yeah, I get yep. it. Totally get it. You know, yep. I'm not, yeah. Um, Cool, Jim. Um, you know, one thing that uh, I wanted to ask too is, you know, marketing, marketing's huge. You know, it's, it's, even if you're doing good, it's like you have ultimate big picture goals. Like you have, you know, you said you wanted to expand, but you got to have the right people in place. Um, and you know, I always come back to Michigan too. Totally kidding. Um, (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Right. Um, no, but, you know, with uh, the little bit of time we have remaining here, you know, kind of walk me through if you were to, and I know we touched on little bits and pieces, but walk me through if you were to step back and pick at each area of your business, aside from like the marketing, maybe it's like, you know, conversion rate, maybe it's client retention, maybe it's, um, you know, certain processes that are in place for, you know, like that first impression or whatever the case is, you know, where would you like to see? And again, aside from, we already touched on the marketing, but where would you like to see some things get just a little bit better that allows you to, again, step back and be able to do more of like the administrative stuff to grow the way that you want to? Yeah, I, definitely the marketing, I think would be part of it. Something that's, sure. uh, that I know I can count on. Um, you know, tri- our staff, I have an amazing staff um, growing that staff so that I can step back or or dip into other areas that they could take over. Um, that would be 
that would be hugely helpful for me as well. Um, you know, maybe some of the administrative things I can take off my plate because this is still fairly new, you know, so while I've been doing this for a long time, like this, this specific business is still new enough that I feel like I've got to do as much as I can on it. But there, there are things that I could probably hand off to somebody at some point uh, and, and give up a little bit so that I could go out and do the relationship thing a, a, a little bit more. Um, and, and, you know, just one thing that I've learned is our facility is not, it's not a dump by any means, but it's not like the sexiest thing in the world where people are coming in and they're just, they're signing up because the place is just so, you know, sweet looking. Um, it's the training that they're coming for uh, and the results and the relationships that we build. And the reason it's called impact is because it's the impact that we make on people. So could we get that better? Absolutely. You know, there's, we have to make sure that we're constantly doing good evaluations so that we can create good programs for people so they get the results that make them want to talk about um, talk about what we do. Uh, oh, you know what? There is one thing that just hit me uh, that I do that, that I made a decision to do from a marketing standpoint is every kid that comes in when they sign up, they get an impact T-shirt. And then those kids go and wear those at their school or wear them at their practices. And then kids start to see it. And it's like kind of top of mind stuff. So that is one thing that uh, I guess you could call it paid advertising, but it's almost like putting a billboard on everybody that comes through. Yeah. The good, the um, good series. Yep. Yeah. And, and I think uh, another thing that you mentioned, or, you know, as you were talking is that I think we could do things that are like adding on to the clients that we currently have and, um, do more for them and have them also possibly spend more money because they, they see more value in additional services. Maybe that's nutritional consultations or maybe that's recovery work or whatever it is. Uh, I, I think we could, I think we could definitely improve in that area as well. Yeah. Kind of maximizing all aspects of, you know, what is there that might not be fulfilled quite yet or, yeah, you know, pipeline. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Good. Plenty yeah. of room, plenty of room to grow always. <laughs> it's a, if, you, if you're not growing, you're not, uh, what's the good word? You're not, you're not improving or something like that. Yeah. I've heard if you're not growing, you're dying. So <laughs> maybe that's a little bit too much. One, one of our core tenets is grow or die. So yeah, well, there you go. It's, you know, not necessarily ferocious and fierce, but it's like, you know, if you aren't growing, everybody else is growing and you're slowly going down the totem pole. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Um, well, two last questions for you before we wrap okay. up for time purposes. Okay. Uh, Jim, if you had one piece of wisdom or nugget for any aspiring entrepreneur, fitness, sports impact uh, based, whatever, what would you tell them and why? Um, you know, I, I see kind of two two kinds of people entering this profession or personal training and fitness. And it's either the person that's really good at the science. And so they, you know, their, their, their technical skills are really good. Um, or it's the people that are real dynamic and they have great personalities. Um, but there may be lack technical skills. So you've got the great social media following, but your training is not very actually good, or you're really technical, but you know, your relationship skills are poor, your selling skills are poor. Um, if I guess my piece of advice would be like, you you got to have both of those. So you, 
you know, like people that have the technical skills, you got to figure out a way to get to, to build your relationship skills and learn how to sell and market and talk to people um, and and develop that. And on the other hand, if, if you are a dynamic person, you better spend a lot of time getting really good at um, at, at your technical skills and your programming, because um, that's why people come back to you and, and tell all their friends as well. So um, if you're in school right now and you're learning all that stuff, you know, all the technical stuff, make sure that you're figuring out how to how to have relationships and, and build your business as well. Great answer. I love it. You know, it's that, that, uh, that customer relationship building, you know, it's like you, you have a great conversation such as what we're doing right now and you build that rapport and then, you know, they feel there's gen, gen, genuine, genuineness or genuosity. I don't know if that's a word, but, um, in that conversation and, you know, it kind of speaks for itself. Yeah. Yep. Brett, Bar Brett Bartholomew, if you know him, he's been talking about that forever, you know, and uh, I feel like he's constantly saying it, but not everybody wants to do it because they think that they're good at the relationships, but it's that kind of stuff that, that people probably need to concentrate on a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jim, uh, it's been a pleasure today. Um, last thing for our listeners is how can they reach your facility? You know, if they're in the great state of Michigan, and they're looking for a sports place, you know, Instagram Inst or uh, social media websites, you know, you know, business number, whatever it is, kind of explain to our listeners how they can find and reach you. Sure. Um, well, having the name Jim Kilbasso, uh, my last name is Kilbasso, like it's like the sausage, but with an O on the end instead of an A. So I can pretty much get my name um, for most social media. So if you just look me up on whatever Instagram or um facebook you can find me there you can also look up impact sports performance and that we're on facebook and you can google it um, if you're in michigan or um tiktok and instagram it's it's all on there too so impact sports performance uh i'm sure that there are other impacts but um if you sift through a little bit you'll be able to figure it out nothing nothing like the jim kielbasa <laughs> exactly <laughs> Awesome, Jim. Well, hey, for everybody listening out there, you heard it from the man himself. Three locations. You got some different areas to check out. If you're in the Novi or Brighton area, go check them out. If you're in the East Lansing area, you know, by the rink, go check out his facility. You know, maybe give him a like or a thumbs up on Facebook, Instagram, um, or just go check it out. And to everybody listening out there, if you want to be on the podcast, click on our link, fill out your information below. We'll be in touch. We'll get you on. But until then, everybody, Jim Lords out. Thank you for listening to this interview, but don't go anywhere. We still have two more incredible interviews coming right up inside this episode. But if you're a gym owner that's looking to get more clients, keep them longer, and make more money, head to the link in the description of this podcast and schedule a free leave your credit card at home consultation with one of our business consultants. You see, here at Gym Launch, we've helped over 4,000 gym owners across the world increase their sales, take home more money, and build the business of their dreams. And it simply starts with a phone call. Click on the link in the description of this podcast to schedule your call today. Now, let's head into the next interview. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Gym Wars Podcast. I'll be your host today. My name is Emily Newton. And joining us on the show is Ina out of Striking Beauties Boxing and Fitness. Good afternoon. How are you doing today? Hi, Emily. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks. I'm good. Thank you so much for asking. 
Now, before we dive into the nitty gritty of what you have going on and how you run your gym, first tell us a little bit about how you describe your business to people and what made you want to start your gym in the first place. Sure. So basically, Striking Beauty's boxing and fitness was designed for women to learn how to box authentic, authentic boxing, um, like the real deal. You're not going to come in and hit the sky and kick it nothing. Well, kicking only because we have some kickboxing classes, but we are focused on boxing. Um, and the idea was conceived back in 2008 because I had been boxing for about, um, oh my gosh, 15, 20 years at that point. But none of my friends would ever come with me because they didn't like the typical guy's grungy gym. And remember, this is back in 2008. So this predates all of the chain boxing gyms out there now. This is way before Rumble, way before um, 12 rounds, way even before, right around the time that title was coming out, I think they opened about the same time. Um, so that was, you know, the reason that I wanted to do it was to find, to offer to women a place, an authentic gym where you could go and learn how to actually box. But if you didn't want to have contact going into the ring and spar, you didn't have to, you can do the classes. So we work out on the bags or we can go into the ring if you want to either train to become a fighter or just train like a fighter. Okay. Okay. That's pretty cool. So is there, was there anything in particular, maybe like something from your childhood and when you were growing up that like inspired you to start your business in the fitness industry and serve your community in this way? There, um, there was nothing in my background that had me um, would have led me to open a business in the fitness industry. I've always kind of been entrepreneurial at heart. You know, I always had businesses that I would start. Um, but by trade, I was actually, and I am actually a criminal attorney. So it was the year that I graduated law school and moved to Rhode Island to do a clerkship in the Superior Court um, that I found boxing up on Federal Hill. And that's where I fell in love with it. So I was just, I was just looking simply for a fitness routine and fell in love with that. Yeah. And then years of doing that, um, that was 1991, shows, uh, definitely shows my age. <laughs> um, and then it was in, by the time 2008 came around, I had three children and couldn't run to the gyms that I was going to. They were too far. And I still couldn't find a girlfriend to come with me. So at that point, I was talking with one. And they're like, well, why don't you just open one? And I'm like, oh, okay. So I started doing some research online. And I realized there were actually a lot of women from across the country and throughout the world that were saying, God, I would love to learn how to box. But I used to go to the boxing gym with my boyfriend. We split up. I don't know where to go now. And just different things like that. And back in 2008, there were three women's boxing gyms that I found. One was somewhere in Asia. One was in Canada. And there was one in Austin, Texas. And it, so based on all of that, um, I decided, all right, I'm going to do it. 
but I knew, you know, I knew what I wanted my gym to be like. I, I wanted it to be more feminine, but authentic boxing. So, you know, we, as we're rebranding right now, mm-hmm. you know, we'll have a chandelier hanging over our boxing ring. Um, you know, it's that kind of dichotomy of, we have photos of, um, Audrey Hepburn and Muhammad Ali. You know, it's that leather lace kind of intense opposites attract to bring that tension into the gym. Okay, very cool story and back on there. Um, so this isn't your first time being on the Gym Lords podcast. So if you could think back to maybe a year and a half ago to two years, up until this point, what are some of the things that have changed? So back around COVID time, um, like most other gyms, we slowed down, we shut down for a while, but we were able to survive it. Um, we just had great members. And I think one of the things about the gym is that it's it's a unique concept and to know that you're in the boxing gym with all other women. Now, men are allowed to come, but clearly with the name like Striking Beauties, um, most of our members are female. So I think at that time, you know, we survived COVID. We were still going through COVID. But since everything had shut down, um, I decided to get back into the franchise world. Now, I had done that back in 2012 and sold three franchises. Um, Did it myself because, like I said, I'm an attorney and... Like they say, you never want to be your own attorney. You don't want to be doing that, especially in an area that you don't practice in. So I did it and it was fine. And I sold the three and they were um, very successful. But I just ended up changing course. I chose some of the wrong people. And so with, since the last time I was on this show, we... I reestablished with a new group, brought on a lot of people, um, some very well-known names in the boxing world, and we decided that we're going to kind of uh, fluff up our brand again, just freshen it, and start franchising. So that's where we're at now, Um, planning on five corporate gyms and as many franchises as we end up selling this first year. So we're hoping the plan is because we have a very well-known female boxer that's supposed to come on. And if she does come into the corporation, takes on an executive role, then, excuse me, we will open our first corporate location in her hometown of Austin, Texas. Wow. That's awesome. Um, So I guess what made you want to go the franchise route on your own? Because it's not like, you're not leveraging an existing franchise that already has existing systems and education and things like that. So like, what made you decide to start things from scratch and build from there? Well, one, because there never, there wasn't anything like this, so I couldn't take something else, but that's never been me anyways. I've always been the type, if I find something that I love and I want to share with people, then I'm going to find a way to do that. So because there were no other um, female boxing gyms in existence, especially how I envisioned mine, I 
as it grew. And it was funny because when I first opened back in 2009, um, you know, women's boxing was not a big thing. We weren't even in the Olympics. That didn't happen until 2012. So it was kind of, I mean, it really was an untouched market. And I didn't know how women were going to react. You know, I had a lot of people saying to me, what girl is going to want to go in there? What housewife or young professional is going to want to go in there and box? And surprisingly, it was hundreds of them. And and the one thing that happened initially when I first opened was that there was this amazing bond and camaraderie between our members. And I would have a new girl come in and one of my existing members would just walk over to her and be like, hey, you're new, right? Come on, let me go show you where you can get this and where you do this. And come on, I'll work with you on the bag. And it was just an instant bond between the women. And whether it was because, you know, it's has historically been a male oriented sport. And now we were in the first female boxing gym or whatever it was. Um, But it just happened by itself. It just kind of took on a life of its own. So at that point, I had one of my girls who was from um, Taunton, Mass. And she was like, God, I would love to do this. And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it can really replicate itself because of the intense bond and the, the essence of it and the feel that the girls would express when they would walk in and what they would share with the other women. And we were like, okay, let's try it. And so we tried it in Taunton Mass and it happened there. And then we tried it in Fall River Mass and it happened there. And the Fall River one, I ended up, we ended up selling to another company because we didn't want to be in that area for some certain reasons. But um, but initially when that opened, I mean, that first day, I remember having the grand opening and we signed 96 women up. And so, okay, at that point, we knew that we could get the women in, That, but the real essence of this gym was the bond and that replicated as well. So at that point I knew, okay, there's something about the concept. There's something about the atmosphere and it can be duplicated. So I wanted that to be in every city, every state, every country, um, sharing it because the empowerment each and every one of our girls got through boxing. Um, I wanted to share that and probably the easiest way would be to franchise. Yeah. I mean, and it sounds like you're, you're well on your way. We're talking, uh, pre-interview about some of the cities that you are thinking about expanding into. So I'm not asking for like all the details, but like, can you briefly outline what does a process of like franchising look like? Just a very scratch the surface, barely. So there's one of two ways to go. You can try to do everything on your own. And that means you have to, first of all, certain states are registration states, which means your FDD, which is your franchise disclosure doc, which lists all of the information about your gym from marketing to financials, everything goes in there. And that's something that if you have a person that's interested in purchasing a franchise, you have to provide them with that and they get a chance to review it. Some states, and I believe there are 13 
that are registration states, um, which means you have to, I'm sorry, filing states. You have to file your FDD in that state. So you cannot sell or even market a franchise in those filing states until you have filed your FDD and it's been approved. So if you don't know anything about franchising, which I had no idea, I don't even know if, at the time that I franchised was even aware of those different states, registration states, filing states, or non-registration or filing. So fortunately for me, the first franchise I sold was in Massachusetts, which is not a registration or filing state. Um, but had it been, I would have had to file here and get approved before you can sell them. And then, I mean, there's so much. You have to have your operations, your systems. You have to have an operations manual. You have to come up with a training schedule and a training system. Um, and you have to obviously have the, the financial information so that you can share that with people. And right. that would go in item 19 of your FDD. But if you don't want to share all of that, then that's fine. You don't have to put that in there. But that means if you ask me, well, Dina, you know, what were your numbers last year? I can't tell you because I haven't put it in there. So I can't lead you to believe that you're going to have the same numbers that I have or that it, you're capable of. So it's there's so much involved that one of the best things that I didn't do the first time, but I did this time was hire a company. And there are several companies out there. I went with iFranchise. So they, they assist you in the sales training, the marketing plan, the operations manual, your systems, whatever you want their help in, they will help you with that. And it makes it a lot easier if you go that route. Yeah. So you don't know what to do? Ask for help from experts. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Exactly. So. I, now that they're helping, because we were talking a little bit about marketing um, before we actually went on air. So tell us a little bit about like how you're changing the way that you're approaching marketing from like a year and a half, two years ago. Well, like I said before, we've been operating for 14 years and I think I can count on one hand the number of times that I did any type of marketing or advertising. I mean, of course, we have Facebook, right? So things are always out there and everyone has a Facebook page. But beyond that, we did not do very much. Um, I'm not proud of that, but I think it's kind of interesting that we've been able to survive for 14 years with very little marketing. But the reason was that, and I think a lot of business owners have this same problem, you can only do so much, right? So you're teaching your classes, you're dealing with the members, you're cleaning your gym, you're doing everything. And even though marketing is probably the most important thing, it's one of those things that it's the last thing you often get to. And people, I don't know, I know that I didn't know a lot about how to do that. So I just, all right, I just kind of put it to the side. And every now and then I'd say to my daughter or someone, hey, you want to post some stuff on Facebook for me? Um, now at this stage of the game, I realize how important it is and how you want to tailor your message 
to that specific audience and things will be a lot different now or they're starting to be now that we are we have our corporation we have our executives that are already part of it uh, one of the women i have is jackie callen now, jackie is known as the first lady of boxing if anyone were to google her she, actually she was in a, the movie against the ropes um starring meg ryan which is a really fun great movie it's about jackie callen Jackie was the first female manager um, of men and women in boxing. She started this over 40 years ago. So most of her, her clients, most of her fighters that she managed were male. And so she really broke the glass ceiling on that. And the movie, I, I highly recommend the movie. It's very cute. But um so now with those people involved, with Jackie involved and, and certain others that we're speaking with, um, we obviously have to place marketing um, it's, uh, on a much higher level and make it focus much more on that. So we will have we have our marketing team working on the new website and our marketing plan. All of that is finally taking shape. Yeah. So. Um... Before we wrap up, one more question for you. I guess knowing what you know now about marketing, do you think it's something that you would have invested into a little bit earlier? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I mean, there's there's so much. And I think as, especially as a new business owner, when you're starting and, you know, unless you have lots and lots of money, um, you only have a certain amount to work with and it's, do you spread it thin or do you focus it in certain places? And I think I probably spread it thin. So, you know, a little, a little bit here, but never enough. And now I see the importance of that. Um, and I'm hoping now that as we're ready to step it up a level that we will do the same with the marketing and, get a much um i mean well again we've been around for a long time without it but i think i think what we will see now that we're using it um it'll be a big difference yeah that's awesome well dina this is a really good place for us to wrap things up on this episode but before we sign out please tell our listeners where they can find you so striking beauties boxing and fitness you can go online check out our website the new one will be up probably within three or four weeks and we are located um, in massachusetts right now hopefully our next locations will be austin texas detroit michigan providence rhode island and then los angeles but if you go on the website you can also learn about how to buy a franchise all righty, Dina. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time and contribution to the podcast. And I'm especially looking forward to seeing what Striking Beauty's Boxing and Fitness is going to accomplish down the road. You and me both. <laughs> so you. to everybody, you're welcome. Uh, to everybody who did, tuned in today, we appreciate you as well. Don't forget, if you want to be notified about future episodes, hit that like and subscribe button. And if you're interested in joining us to talk about your business model within the fitness industry, click the link in the description, fill it out. And our team will be in touch. And as always, until next time, Jim Lords out.
Thank you for listening to the podcast so far. Don't go anywhere. We still have another episode coming right up right after this word from one of our sponsors. The Gym Lords Podcast is sponsored by Prestige Labs. Prestige Labs is the first and only nutritional supplements company built by gym owners for gym owners. Prestige Labs solves the problem that all gyms have experienced, the broken inventory model, low commissions, and even lower quality products. Prestige Labs provides 100% drop shipping, zero inventory, PhD formulated high quality supplements for you and your clients. The goal is simple, cover 100% of your rent while never sacrificing your integrity. To learn more, or to become an affiliate of Prestige Labs for free, apply at affiliate.prestigelabs.com. That's affiliate.prestigelabs.com. Double your client results, double your income. You can head to affiliate.prestigelabs.com to become an affiliate for free. Now stick around for the rest of this episode. Use coupon code GYMLORDS on prestigelabs.com for 20% off all future supplement orders. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Gym Lords podcast. I'll be your host today. My name is Joseph, and joining us on the show is Joe from Premier Martial Arts down in Rainham, Massachusetts. Welcome to the show, Joe. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. I appreciate you uh, having me. Of course. I'm actually very excited here to speak to a fellow Northeastern on the podcast learn more about what you're doing at, uh, you know, Premier Martial Arts. But before we dive into the business side of things, why don't you share with our listeners the inspiration behind becoming a gym owner? Uh, well, it started all the way back in uh, 1984 when the Karate Kid came out. Okay. I was roughly about maybe nine years old, 10 years old, and I was hooked with the movie and then VHS came out. Yes, I know I'm aging myself, uh, but I found myself you know, pressing rewind, play, rewind, play. And back in those days, I could probably recite every script of the movie word by word. Um, mm-hmm. And then right around 12 years old, um, I had a, my, my dad worked nights. My mom worked late, uh, didn't come home till late in the afternoon. So I found myself with a lot of leisurely, leisurely time um, from about three o'clock in the afternoon until about six in the afternoon. And needless to say, I grew up in a small town called Rehoboth, Massachusetts, okay. uh, Stickville. Um, and I had a few kids in the neighborhood that liked to uh, entertain ourselves by, you know, getting a little bit of trouble here and there with no parental guidance around for those few hours. Mm-hmm. So I found myself getting into a lot of trouble as a kid. Um, and my mom was getting really frustrated with me. And then right around in about 86, 1986, my older sister uh, was dating a, a gentleman that was training in martial arts. And uh, again, because of my fascination with the Karate Kid, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to go check out what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And then when I did that, I was just hooked immediately. And um, I never looked back. Uh, I'd just been training ever since. And then when I started getting into my adult years, right around graduating, um, high school, uh, the boyfriend of my sister now became my brother-in-law. They ended up getting married and having a couple of kids and he really took it to a whole nother level. And, uh, I just basically kind of followed him and shadowed him and kind of learned a lot about teaching and learned a lot about the business. And I got my first, uh, teaching break in, uh, paid teaching break in Boca Raton, Florida, mm-hmm. um, working for a guy in a, an American Kempo school. So I learned uh, the program director's position. I learned uh, how to become an instructor. And, uh, and then from there on, uh, fast forward from 
95 to about 90, 97, I got an opportunity to work at a Taekwondo school at a very young age to take over a chief, chief instructor's position. Mm-hmm. And in order to qualify for that job, I had to learn Korean terminology, which was a bit of a challenge. Um, but I wanted the job so bad that I learned it. Um, I mean, I didn't have to speak fluent sentences, but I just had to know all of the uh, the protocols and the etiquette of the terminology and um, addressing certain people as they are, like Sabinim, Cubanim, Quadinim, um, being all the instructors as far as what their titles were. And mm-hmm. that was exciting. And then uh, from there, I ended up running a school in Lauderhill, Florida with my brother-in-law uh, under a man by uh, named Grandmaster Greg Silva, who is uh, probably one of the pioneers of teaching kids in America on a high volume, on a big scale. <clears throat> Excuse me. He at one time had 1,300 students in Coral Springs, Florida um, in one location. And the school was so gigantic. They literally had to put a traffic light out in front of the school because traffic was horrendous. Um, and so I was really fortunate and very blessed to be able to work under such great pioneers uh, that showed me a lot about um, running a martial arts school with etiquette and principles and um, to run it efficiently, uh, run it as a martial artist, not just as a businessman, right? Because you you really need both. You need to know how to run a business, but also be a really good martial artist at the same time. And, you know, sometimes we find in the industry and some people get a black belt and they think, wow, I can run a school now. And then it's open for about a year and then it flops, you know. Um, But now we've got a different this time around, because now you've got certain people that are just buying martial arts schools that aren't martial artists that hire martial artists to run the schools for them. So, so much has evolved since back in those days. Um, then in 2000, I ended up running my own school in Rhode Island, mm-hmm. North Smithfield, Rhode Island. I ran that for about 10 years. I ended up going through some personal issues in my life and I lost my best friend for a motorcycle accident. I had a student commit suicide, recession hit. I mean, it was just like three big whammies for me at once. Um, so I ended up selling that school and then um, ended up going back to work for my brother-in-law. Uh, did that till about 2014, then ended up moving on to running my own school again, right here in Raynham. <clears throat> I purchased it off of uh, another gentleman that was under the affiliated organization. So then at that time, when I bought that dojo, uh, poof, that that's just a been a book all in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Buying someone else's dojo um, is extremely challenging. Uh, starting from scratch, I think, is a little easier. Yep. And the reason for that is because when you buy someone else's dojo, <clears throat> excuse me, what happens is is obviously you get a drop off of people because they get disappointed. You know, they were with a gentleman that they looked up to and were loyal to, and then once that person leaves, then people just feel really disappointed and. Mm-hmm. then they leave, you know, but um, fortunately for us, we only lost about, I want to say about 60 students at the time. Um, so it was roughly about 300 students when I bought the school yeah. and then it dwindled down to between, I would say 320 to 340. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, just everything else, just, you know, we, we switched from locations to owner to name change. Um, and then from that point on, we went from about 300 students and COVID hit, um, a couple of staff changes hit. So, I mean, we're really now coming out of all of, a lot of the craziness that's gone on since mm-hmm. that time. 
Um, and now since then, my wife and I, uh, we run the dojo together. Yep. She's actually uh, the manager and program director. Uh, she's really kind of spinning a lot of the plates on her own right now, which is awesome. She's doing a fantastic job. Plus my son now works for me, which is great. Uh, he's been in it since he was three. He's now 18. Uh, so now we're kind of like at the rebirth of building back up to that 300 mark. Mm -hmm. So since the COVID pandemic hit and it you know took out a lot of our industry, with where the business is at today, what services do you offer to your members? Well, back when COVID hit, obviously everything shut down. And thank God for what we're on right now, Zoom, because um, yep. Zoom is really what helped us from closing our doors. Uh, we immediately went right from um, classes at the dojo to classes on Zoom. Mm -hmm. um, we did lose quite a bit of students from that, but we were able to be able to sustain and, and keep as a business. And then three months after when they started kind of allowing us to do more of the social distancing, yep. um, we ended up uh downsizing to a dojo from the uh, original first one that we had in the same plaza we're, at, we're actually on our third location in the same plaza within an eight-year time span um because the first time as i said when i first took over the that other dojo i moved it to a different plaza um just a lot of crazy things happened um i ended up in a divorce unfortunately uh, but fortunately now as you look back <laughs> um and we went through some, some struggles with, with staff changes. So it kind of forced us to downsize into a second location in the same plaza. Mm -hmm. And then that's kind of like the blessing and the curse of COVID. Um, when we downsized and we had to do all, those, all that social distancing, that six foot social distancing, we literally had to like put tape to where people could, only could stay in that one area. They had to stay masked. Uh, we would prop like a, a weight master in front of them and then just kind of still have the Zoom classes going on too, off to the side. So it'd be me teaching the class or so whoever's teaching the class physically. And then someone would be off in the camera for the Zoom people. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a bit of a struggle. And I just found myself because of the social distancing, because of the, the downsides, we're only able to fit like 15 students on the mat at six foot, the, the six foot distancing. Yeah. So I went to the landlord and I had asked him, I said, hey, is there any way, because the the suite next to us was vacant. So I had asked him, I said, hey, is there a way we can kind of punch that wall out and get more space in here to try to get more people in here? Because the social distancing thing is killing us, you know, because mm -hmm. people want to come back. They were starting to want to come back, but we couldn't let him because there was no room. Mm -hmm. So he said, uh, well, hey, follow me. So he took me down the other end of the plaza and showed me a location which did not look big from the front which is where we're at now but as soon as we walked in it was awesome it was like the perfect setup so we ended up moving to that location where we are now and we were able to fit everybody so we went from like a 3,000 square foot location to a 5,000 square foot location when the first one was actually 5,000 square feet so we went 5,000 3,000 5,000 again <laughs> wow. yeah wow. But, it, but it's, been, it's been amazing. It's the best one out of the three. It's a beautiful school. Um, and it's, it's very functional and it's like perfectly set up for what we need it for. Mm -hmm. So you said you have about 5,000 square feet right now, and that's a pretty big facility in a way. So, so yeah. how many people are you guys serving right now? Right now we have 215 active members. Um, again, the goal right now is for 300 for the end of the year. Uh, that's our goal. 
um, which we could definitely do. It's just a matter of just putting all the marketing pieces together, coming out of a lot of like the, the, the stuff that we've just come out of with the COVID and everything. Um, but we're, we're doing really well. We're doing really well. The atmosphere is positive. It's a very uh, high energy, family orientated uh, atmosphere. And we, we, we do attract a lot of families. We're a family run business. Mm-hmm. Um, we do attract a, a lot of families, which is great. Um, <clears throat> but just doing a lot of the marketing, we do a lot of the social media marketing. Uh, we do the traditional marketing. Um, yeah, we're, we're really trying to hit everything on every angle as, as much as we can to try to get to that 300. Mm-hmm. So with the social media, is that on Instagram or Facebook? Yep. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Google, um, Yelp. What else is there? Pretty much everything and anything that we can get our hands on with, with the uh, social media aspects. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we advertise through our, our franchise company, which is Premier. Yeah. Um, and then we advertise through a couple of other companies. Okay. So are those like vendors in a way for like the franchise? Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. That yeah. makes sense. So with that, you know, for our listeners who eventually want to maybe get into a franchise, how has the experience been with working with like a vendor on average? Like how many people do you have coming to the door? Well, it's really, it's really blown up a lot. Um, I joined Premier back in 2014 and um, they didn't turn franchise until about 2018. Mm-hmm. And uh, as soon as they franchised, they actually started selling to non-martial artists. So entrepreneurs, people that were looking to get into the martial arts business, but not so much wanting to be in the martial arts, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um so since then, I mean, it's it's blown up like crazy. Um, I think back when I started with Premier, there was about 85 Premier schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I think they're up to about 245 and still growing. Yeah. Um, but uh, the, the networking opportunities are amazing. I mean, some of the guys that are in the organization are just extremely successful and always willing and ready to help you, um, you know, uh, I, I would say the biggest part to it would be is just having the ability to network with a bunch of different people that are, we always say success leaves clues. So if you find someone that's got a lot of success and you know, give them a call, even if they're non-Premier related, um, because there's very many successful schools out there that are not a part of Premier too. So, but it, that's what I try to do is just rub elbows with the guys that are out there that I see that are running a great dojo with a great mindset um, and humility is a big one for me too. So uh, those are the ones that really attract me. Mm -hmm. So with this paid advertising on average, how many leads do you get per month? Uh, I'd have to look on the stats, but we've been really getting quite a bit in. I want to say we're on average right now getting probably 25 to 30 leads for the month. Okay. Qualified leads, you know, nice. So, out of those 25 to 30 qualified leads, how many make Convert. it to the front doors? Um, obviously, you're going to have your tire kickers out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, just kind of giving a rough idea as far as the stats, because I have not looked at them as of yet. I mm-hmm. want to say about three quarters of them come to the door. 
Okay. And on average, usually for the people that come, um, usually about 80% sign up, mm -hmm. whether it be on the promotion that you're advertising or just loving it so much that they just join in on one of the actual programs that we offer. Mm -hmm. So when the prospects come through the door, is there a specific program that you, you know, try to direct them to, or is it more of a question-based framework and then you prescribe a class based on what, based off whatever they say? Yeah. So a lot of people will come in off a certain ad, like six weeks for $99 or a two lesson trial program includes uniform for $39.99. So depending on what they're, what they're coming in on, even with mm -hmm. some people too, when they come in for a birthday party, with an existing student, we'll, we'll offer a free month. Um, so it really all depends on where they're coming from. But for everybody that comes in, we always do the standard two lesson intro class with them. Um, as soon as they walk in the door, we have a program director greeting them. Um, they give them a tour. They show them what we call all the FFBs, which are the features, the functions, and the benefits of everything that we have and offer. Yep. Um, and then right after the tour, we'll actually have them fill out a sheet which gives their basic information. And then we find out what it is exactly that they're looking to gain out of their training. Uh, so for an example, if it's a parent and they're having disciplinary issues with their kids, you know, they'll let us know that discipline is on the, on the higher part of the list and focus and respect and whatever it is that they have uh, or the, what their goals are for their kids. Uh, if it's an adult, you know, most of them will come in for confidence or fitness or, um, just camaraderie, just to be a part of something bigger than themselves. Um, and then what we'll do is we'll take them in. Once we find out what it is that they are looking to get, we'll take them through their very first intro, which will basically just show them a lot of the basics of what to expect when they mm -hmm. get out into the group class. And then we'll really pinpoint a lot on what it is that they're looking to gain out of the program in regards to, like I said earlier, the, the mental benefits of the training and really try to extract that um, so they can actually see that it will actually benefit them. And then uh, for the kids, what we'll do at the very end, uh, after showing them the basics, we'll set a couple of goals for them to do at home in order for them to come back to the second class and earn their white belt, their very first belt, because we don't give away any belts. And we, we state that right in, the, right in the very beginning. So for an example, we'll, we have a student creed that we recite at the very beginning of every class. So we'll actually have them memorize part one of the creed that we have um, and then we'll ask them to do one act of self-discipline at home without their parents having to remind them to do, to do it. You know, and this will really give us a, a good idea as to how excited the kid is. Cause if the kid is super excited, he's going to go home or she's going to go home and memorize that student creed and then brushing her teeth or his teeth without mom having to get after them. Cause they're super pumped. Then when they come back, we reinforce what we taught them on the first class into the second intro. And then, uh, give them a couple of maybe a little extra things like a side kick. Cause the first one will show them a front kick. And then the second one will show them a side kick. Um, and then at the end, we'll have them recite the creed. Well, I'll look at the parent and say, Hey, you know, did uh, Ricky do what he was supposed to do at home? And mom will 95, 96, 7% of the time is, Oh yeah, he did it. He did a great job too. I was really surprised. So now the parent can really see like how much of an impact this is going to have on their child. Um, mm -hmm. And then we'll have them recite the, the first part of the creed. Once mm -hmm. that's done, we have a big celebration. We award them their belt. Um, and then at that point there, we'll sit the parent down and we'll go over recommendations as far as what we feel would be best for their kid at that time. 
So we have different types of programs. We have different types of commitments, uh, really all depending on the, you know, on the kid. If we've got a super shy kid that's coming in, we'd probably go for more like a shorter term commitment because we don't want to set them up for failure. We want to set them up for success. But if we got a kid that's coming in and he's just so fired up, we'll probably go for more of a longer commitment um, and a, uh, a more higher quality program. Uh, so instead of like a basic program, we would show them what we call our black belt training program, okay. which would actually show them a lot more in the training. Um, and it actually starts to gear them towards that black belt mindset. Uh, but again, it really all depends on the individual and where they're at. Mm -hmm. So what is the typical lifespan look like in terms of churn and attrition for the gym? Like, let's just say someone comes in, how long is their lifetime at the gym normally last? Um, well, we, we do run attrition and uh, retention percentages every month. Mm -hmm. And we're usually floating between 95 to 96%, which is actually pretty, pretty decent. Mm -hmm. um, I would say the average student, I've had students with me at the age of three, and some of them are still with me, you know, mm -hmm. um, and they're like 18, 19, 20 years old. I've actually, one time I bumped into one of my students who's one of my black belts, and the only way I was able to recognize him was his eyes because everything changed from had the big bushy beard and, you know, he had a hat on and everything else. And, and I look over at him like, is your name Bryce? And he's like, Mr. Fishbach, oh my God. You know, it was the coolest thing ever. And he had said to me, he's like, hey, you know, I've always wanted to thank you. And I'm like, for what? And he says, uh, you know, I got, to, I got through the Marines and um, I attribute my martial arts training for helping me get through that. And I was like, one of the biggest compliments ever, you know, was, was yeah. to hear something like that. But um, yeah, I mean, I've been at this a long time. I, I've had students that I haven't seen in years, but through social media and Facebook, you still, you know, you can still kind of keep track of them. And um, it's just really cool to see, you know, the impact that you've made on these kids and now they're adults and you see them and they just look great and they're successful. And uh, just to know you had a, a small part of that is always a cool thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So it sounds like the marketing and the sales process is down packed right now. So I'm going to ask you a little bit of a harder question here. What do you think is like the biggest bottleneck right now in the business that, you know, you may be trying to jump over or not able to push through it like with right now? Ah, uh, bottleneck. It could be anything really. Yeah. I would say is just, um, staff hiring staff is, is a tricky thing. Um, like I told you, the school that I took over, I actually took over the staff as well. And it's a different dynamic. Uh, when someone starts with you as a kid and they're with you for those years and they're loyal and trustworthy and honest, and um, it makes a big difference. But when you actually take over a staff, sometimes there's things that happened previously that you may have not had knowledge about. Mm -hmm. um, there could still be resentment with the previous owner that you actually took over, um, which I actually kind of found myself in uh, back in 2017. Um, I had a couple of staff members really go south on me during my divorce and they um, were throwing accusations and just false narratives and to try to get money out of me. 
to be able to open up their location. And they successfully did because back then uh, I was running things the way that I was taught how to run things, which is like salary based. So when you hire a, an instructor, you pay them a salary, you know, a decent salary, a salary that's enough where they can survive. Um, but basically what they, what they're working towards is trying to get a bonus at the end of the month. So in order to get a bonus, you have to do a, B and C to make sure that, you know, cause I was always taught if you give somebody a really comfortable salary, they'll just kind of sit and rest and not work, you know, cause mm -hmm. it's like, oh, I've already arrived. I've already made it. So if you give them incentive to work, that's where the bonus comes in. So um, when I was going through that divorce, these two staff members sided with my ex and just went on, on this total attack on me. And uh, they ended up uh, getting quite a bit of money out of me. And they ended up opening up their own dojo about 18 miles up the road and started filtering students from my dojo. It was a crazy time. Um, it's like they say this too shall pass and it has, you know, but just really trying to find staff members that you can 100% trust, put everything into, um, you know, with teaching them and guiding them. But at the end of the day, I mean, you, you can only can control what you can control. You know, I just actually had to fire um, a, a staff member a few months ago, just for stuff that just don't coincide with what we're teaching. And that was a hard hit. It was a hard hit on the dojo. It was a hard hit on me personally. Um, you know, the, the, he was, he was just doing things he wasn't supposed to. Let's just kind of leave it at that. Yeah. So, I, so I had to let him go. Um, and it was a shock to me because I actually thought I really knew this person. He was kind of like a son to me and, um, just out of the blue, we just kind of just turned. And so I would say the biggest bottleneck is just making sure that you hire people that, you know, well, at the end of the day, always have your back believes in you. Um, now it's amazing. I mean, they always say, you know, that silver lining, like I was talking about earlier with COVID, you know, there was a lot of bad things that happened out of it, but you know, looking at it in a positive sense, we're in a bit bigger, better school now, you know? I just had to let this staff member go, but now I'm able to hire my wife and my son. Um, and it's been amazing, you know, mm -hmm. but uh, I would say that would be the biggest thing. Um, the other thing is just don't get too caught up in yourself uh, with ego and um, thinking you're the end all be all of martial arts or gym ownership, you know, just having a humble mindset, always having that white belt mindset, you know, that, mm -hmm. Um, even when you're doing well, I mean, again, all be gone in a, in an instant, you know, and to just be grateful for the things that you have on a daily basis, grateful for the people that are around you that love and support you and just put all your eggs in those baskets, really. And there's a, there's a book that I've read in the past. I'm not sure who the author is, but the title of it is like ego is the enemy. So I really like how you shared that. It's like, your ego could be the death of your business and it could take you out completely if you don't yeah. stay at that, as you said, white belt mentality. Yeah. Um, but with the hiring uh, side of things, you know, what do your hiring processes look like? Um, I mean, pretty typical of any other business, you know, um, you want to look at references, you want to look at quarries, make sure that, you know, these people aren't doing weird, wacky things on the back end. Um, just having a, a good reputation. Uh, I, I've always hired from within, um, yep. the dojo. It's always best to do that. 
Um, sometimes, you know, some people get lucky from hiring outside. Uh, one of the cool stories that I, I heard was um, I've always been an Ed Parker senior uh, Kempo fan. And um, one of the things he did back in the 60s is he put an ad out in the paper saying that uh, hiring for martial arts instructor, no experience necessary. You know, and you hear that and you're like, what? But through him doing that, he ended up getting some incredible people that you look back nowadays, you know, like Frank Trejo, this guy, uh, Frank Trejo, Huck Polanis, uh, another guy, Larry Tatum. Um, there's all these guys that he was able to recruit from just having, you know, throwing that that model out there. Um, and now I'm finding that uh, Premier has kind of taken that that model of just saying, hey, no experience necessary. You know, we'll teach you how to run a dojo. Um, can that be a bad thing? I'm, I'm sure it's like anything else. Anything can be bad, but I'm sure some good will come of it too, right? Um, so it's just really all dependent upon um, the individual, the the experience, um, references, and just making sure that uh, they're professional, they're punctual, they're respectful. And in order to hire somebody in martial arts, that they not only have to love martial arts, but they also have to love people. You have to have a great balance between the two because you get a martial artist in there that is able to do all these amazing and gifted and talented things, but they're just so full of themselves. It's kind of like, you know, uh, it, it's hard to love people when you love yourself more, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I would say that would be the, the biggest criteria in hiring yeah. somebody. And with what you just said, I'm actually reading a book right now by Jim Rohn. It's called like the power of ambition. I love Jim Rohn. Uh, speaks of, yeah, he's, he's an amazing guy. I love his content. Um, yeah. He says that one, as the previous book title I shared, you know, ego is the enemy. He says that an enlightened, you know, self-interest is great because that means you're taking care of yourself so that you can serve other people. And as you said there, you know, some trainers, some people may come into it with an ego and then they will crumble. It's always mm -hmm. important to have that, you know, white belt mentality. Exactly. Uh, so, so Joe, for our listeners and, you know, for a more philosophical question, go back to when you first got into gym ownership before this facility, before the other one. What is that one piece of advice that you would give to an up and coming gym owner? Uh, just to really be excited about the opportunity. We always say gratitude always determines your altitude as far as how high you go and whatever it is that you do. So the more grateful that you are for that opportunity, the more people will feel that from you. I mean, you can say what you want to say all day long, but it's what, how people feel the energy from you um, that will attract people to you, right? Uh, when I first opened up my very first dojo, uh, I actually did it with a family member. Um, and I started at a YMCA and it had 10,000 members in it, this YMCA. It was like the perfect opportunity. Um, and when I got in there, it was just so exciting for me. I mean, I think I was like maybe 24 at the time, 20, 23, 24. But it was just so incredibly exciting, invigorating for me to just to go in there and actually start my own thing, get my own following. Um, I believe I was there for six weeks and I already had like 125 students. Um, they started me off in this little small room. We, 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 
ended up busting the walls out of that. And then we had to go into a bigger room and then we ended up in the gymnasium and it was the coolest thing. Um, and then from there, what we did is uh, we ended up opening up a location and then we moved those students to the location. Um, and then after that, uh, I ended up busting out on my own, up, like I was saying earlier, up in Smithfield, North Smithfield, Rhode Island. And that was technically my first actual location. And it was just the coolest thing. But again, I bought somebody else's dojo, <laughs> you know, at that time. Um, and then, uh, I ended up doing it again this time around. Uh, would I ever do it again? I, I, I would say no. Um, would I recommend it to somebody? I'd probably say no, you know, only because it's a lot of work to, especially if they don't know who you are, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you gotta like win everybody over. And some people might think you might think that they're in it to win it with you, but you know, there could be some other ulterior motives roaming around on the side, which did happen to me, um, in this last tr try to, to, you know, take over a school but some people can do it and do it successfully um but uh in regards to me i would much rather just start fresh out of the gate yeah you know? starting from scratch rather than coming into someone else's you know legacy in a way seriously yeah i mean that's a that's a those are tough shoes to fill i mean regardless if you have more experience than that person um might be a you know a better competitor whatever it is uh we always say that it's really easy to quit an activity, but it's extremely hard to quit a relationship, you know? And when you build that relationship with somebody and you put all that time and your trust and your money and all that stuff, and then they leave, I mean, from, for the most, a majority of the people, it would be hard to not be a little bit bitter about it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. I agree full-heartedly with you. And uh, Joe, it does look like we are running short on time here with the episode, but before we sign off, why don't you share your social media handles and your website URL with our listeners so they can find you? Uh, so we are at on uh, Facebook. We're on Instagram, uh, PMA Rainham. Uh, I'm also on there at Joe Fishbach. And uh, our email is PMARainham at gmail.com. If anybody would ever want to reach out to me, um, do some networking, ask questions, or allow me to ask questions, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, but that's pretty much it. There we go. Well, uh, thank you for sharing those. And Joe, I want to thank you for hopping on today on the podcast. It was a pleasure speaking with you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Joseph. You're welcome. And to all of our listeners who you know tune in today, we appreciate you as well. And don't forget, if you want to be notified about future episodes, hit the like and subscribe button. And if you're interested in joining us to talk about your gym model, click the link in the description, fill it out, and our team will be in touch with you very, very soon. And as always, until next time, Gym Lords out. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this content valuable, here's four ways we can help you grow your gym for free. One, grab a free copy of Alex Ramosi's best-selling book, Gym Launch Secrets, at alexsbook.com. Two, join our free Facebook group at alexsgroup.com. Three, if you're a gym owner, you can apply to be on the podcast by emailing us at podcast at gymlaunch.com. Four, leave us a five-star review so we can gain access to more gym owners and bring those lessons back to you. And as always, Tap that button and subscribe to this podcast for more.